Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the Scanner studio today is Betsy Fleming, who is the outgoing president of Converse College after 11 years. And we're going to talk about Converse, single gender education, and the affordability of a college education. And with putting you on the spot like that, Betsy, welcome to the journal. Thank you, Walter. I'm delighted to be here. Let's talk about You've been at Converse 11 years, and that goes, that's four years beyond what most college presidents do. Why step down, or is it 11 years as 11 years? Well, I think that I have loved my tenure as president of Converse, although sometimes it feels like 11 years is a lot longer, and other times it feels a lot shorter. I was just joking with my mother, who's a Converse graduate, a couple of weeks ago, and I said, being a college president is a little bit like being a dog. So uh, if you (laughs) consider that, I'm 77 years old and over the age of my mother. Uh, But in in all seriousness, um, it seemed like the right time for the college. We had made some great strides. We were putting in some foundations for a whole new level of growth and momentum, and it seemed like the right time for me personally. So time for new vision, new leadership, and maybe a new personal direction for me. There are many things that you've accomplished. Your endowment has increased. Um, Looking back over your 11 years, challenges, changes? It has been a remarkable 11 years, and I think that My favorite part of my tenure as president has been the relationships that I've been able to build with faculty and staff who are so committed to developing students, Uh, with alumni who have a great affection for this wonderful small independent college, and most especially with students, watching them really find their voices, figure out their path in life through this uh, customized educational experience. Converse has an incredibly rich history and trained as an art historian. I relish that history and relish the opportunity to build on it. So we celebrated our 125th anniversary just a couple of years ago. And it's been amazing through that celebration to see how much Converse has remained the same and committed to access to a high-quality education, remained committed to educating women to help advance the culture of our country, but also how it has evolved and how it has done that based on the changing demands and needs of professions, communities, and society at large. Converse, I think, has been noted almost for 125 years for its outstanding music program. And you offer a graduate degree in that as well, correct? We do. And occasionally you'll let a man come into that graduate (laughs) because you have a very famous alumnus, Carlisle Floyd. Absolutely. um, One of America's greatest, 20th century America's greatest librettists for opera got his degree, his training at at Converse. That's right. But young women and your undergraduate population is all female. Mm -hmm. When women come there, what are they majoring in these days? So first, I, I think I'll share a little bit of information about our music program and our School of Arts more broadly. We have had some amazing alum, alumni come through that program, both men and women. And Converse is all female undergraduate, but all of our graduate programs are co-ed. And the strength of that music program continues to evolve. A recent degree that we just launched is a contemporary music and media applications degree. Another interesting initiative is a group of faculty were invited um, to China. They just returned from about 10 days in China where they were performing at various music and art colleges, as well as recruiting students primarily for our graduate program. So the School of Music has an international reputation, and it's been exciting as we've started to um, expand our reach uh, through a new administrative unit called the Converse International School, that that is starting to draw attention from prospective students both near and far. As far as what students are primarily majoring in today, what I've seen during my 10 years as president is a tremendous growth in math and science at Converse. 
the largest major right now is psychology, but right below that are uh, biology, chemistry, as well as some of the other sciences that we offer. The number of students who really want to pursue health careers, health-related careers, has grown uh, exponentially in my tenure. The arts programs, music, studio art, music and art therapy are very strong programs for us. And then uh, one of the other fastest growing majors for us, interestingly enough, is uh, philosophy. And I think that is tied to both the incredible faculty we've been able to recruit, but also how much workplaces and employers are looking for graduates with a broad-based liberal arts education. We have learned recently that the number one major for folks looking to employ college graduates in the technology industry is philosophy. They can teach someone how to program, but they cannot necessarily teach someone how to grapple with abstract ideas, how to bring to gather disparate concepts, how to grapple with ethical issues. And so that's been exciting for us to watch with our grounding in the liberal arts education. Obviously, I'm partial to history, and you have a very strong history department. Melissa Walker, uh, one of the country's acknowledged experts in the revolution in colonial America. She does summer institutes for people from around the world. And, of course, with a history major, you can do anything. You can even come on public radio. You can come on public radio, and with an art history major, you can become a college president. (laughs) Hey, a good liberal arts education will take you far. I totally agree. One of those new music programs you mentioned just intrigued me, Music in the Media. Would you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. What we have found, so Converse has an incredible foundation in classical music, both performance as well as theory. But as the School of Music looked at what aspiring musicians were really looking for is is not only that performance experience, but how to apply that in the needs uh, contemporary society needs. How do you use your musical your music background as a theorist, as a performer beyond education? and make it useful to society. So through that research, uh, they have decided to launch a contemporary music and media applications because so much of our exposure and experience with music is often through other media applications versus just going to experience a, a concert of some kind or another. So it's really a degree program that ties uh, the, the traditional classical music Uh, educational experience with applications uh, in contemporary society. One of the challenges facing all colleges since you've been president are costs. We had talked about earlier before we we came into the studio about our mutual friend John McArdle and the University of the South at Sewanee kind of leading the way on looking at what colleges actually cost versus the sticker price and adjusting tuition accordingly. And Converse, you, you and your board very quickly kind of signed on to this program. How has it worked? Well, I will say Converse and the Board of Trustees did a lot of research to make sure to better understand the affordability challenges facing our students. I know that John McArdle at Swanee did the same thing. And I will tell you it has worked beautifully for Converse. What we had noticed was we were really, we in recruiting students, we were finding that the middle class families felt priced out of a private education. So we went to work to see if we could um, adjust our business model, adjust our scholarship model uh, in order to let them know that a private customized college education is accessible and affordable for middle-class families, those families who might not qualify for uh, federal and state need-based aid, um, but who absolutely valued and appreciated um, the benefits of a, a smaller educational environment. We have seen our enrollment grow in the last five years, we were growing before we made this move, but we have seen over the last five years an undergraduate, traditional undergraduate enrollment growth of, of 
bumping on 30%. And we have seen that growth primarily in those in that middle class uh, family market. And if I'm not mistaken, because I was doing some background research, your application pool has increased. It has. Our application pool has increased, and our selectivity has basically stayed the same. So we are seeing a greater number of applicants, and we are admitting the same quality of applicant, but we're able to admit more. So every stage of that funnel has seen some wonderful growth for us. What is your undergraduate enrollment now? Our undergraduate enrollment is about uh, 850 students. That does include um, under 100 Converse II students who are women who are over the age of 24 who come back to complete an undergraduate degree. The rest are traditional undergraduate students who come from uh, 30 states and 12 countries today. So we have a pretty wide um, network of uh, student populations and a diverse network of student populations. We then have about 400 to 500 graduate students in our various graduate programs. So are your enrollments about where you would like them to be? I think we would like to see, we've seen two years of very tremendous growth in enrollments, um, recruiting about 275 to 300 new students a year. We would expect that number to continue for the next two years, and that will be where we would like to keep it steady. So, so roughly undergraduate population of about a thousand. Exactly. Okay. Well, when you talked about looking at your at the sticker price for Converse before you made your change, if you could remember the figure approximately, what was that figure? What was the tuition? At least the advertised cost of a. Converse education before you change things. So tuition, room and board, all the fees was um, knocking on $40,000. A year? A year. And we have since adjusted it so that tuition alone is 16500 plus room and board um, gets it up to about between twenty six dollars and $27,000. So we have been thrilled with that adjustment. So you, you've reduced by... Fifteen thousand dollars, and it's about forty-three percent in actual dollar, forty-three percent of the actual price. And in addition to that, you have a fairly large pool for student aid. Do you? We do. So that has been one of the great benefits of the generosity of alumni and other donors over time. We have still been able to offer very generous uh, scholarships tied to both merit. Uh, be it academic merit or merit in terms of performing uh, artistic talent and athletic talent, as well as need-based aid. So we have continued to offer scholarships. That's been amazing for us is how many more students are eligible to attend our scholarship competitions and how many more do attend. So the dollar amounts may be less, but it goes further, especially when you couple that with uh, Palmetto or Life Scholarships and the South Carolina Tuition Grants Program. So with a lower tuition price, the external aid goes a lot farther than it did with our you know, tuition, room, and board and fees at $40,000. Wow. When you, the board decided to go this way, what was the reaction of, I know you have incredibly loyal alumni. How did they react to that? They were thrilled. Like you, they have seen the rising cost of education and worried about their daughters and granddaughters being able to even consider uh, their beloved alma mater. What's also amazing that happened that we never expected was how many uh, alumni and families stepped up to start endowed scholarship funds because they realized off of a tuition price of 16500 if they could endow a scholarship fund that generated even $1,000 a year, that was a significant 
impact on uh, the tuition price at the time. So we have seen some real wonderful growth in our endowment scholarship funds because of that. So uh, we were thrilled. They understand that the scholarship amounts were less, but that they went further. Those who had endowed scholarship funds before, they love the opportunity to help more students with scholarships. You raised, what, 75 or $100 million while you've been president? We're bumping up on the $80 million mark. And almost half of that's for scholarship, for endowment. Exactly. It's not bricks and mortar. Nope, but we have spent, raised a lot of money for bricks and mortar as well. I think for anyone who hasn't visited the Converse campus in the last 10 years, they would be just mesmerized by the growth and the physical plant enhancements. We have done some apartment housing called the Heath. We have renovated the oldest residence halls on our campus, Pell and Dexter, with the aid of students, a lot of input from students. We have enhanced the athletic program facilities because we've seen such growth in our athletic programs. We're the only women's college in the country that competes at the NCAA Division II level, and that's been very important in our traditional undergraduate enrollment growth. All right, you have, what, 10, 11 NCAA sports? We have 11, and we just, the board just voted in February to add a 12th, tumbling and acrobatics. And we will be competing with division, against Division One teams as well. All right. I mean, I, th- I think that's amazing. And so NCAA Division Two. what are some of the other schools that people might recognize are in that d- Sure. Uh, Erskine, Limestone, Barton in North Carolina, Mount Olive College. Uh, trying to think of who else is in our conference that folks would know. King College in Tennessee. So Queens University. Uh, Anderson is also a div- Division II university. But you said Converse is the only all-women's college. That, in the country. In the country. That is Division II NCAA. Right. Uh, Students now, they have competed at very high levels uh, in our swimming program, in the cross-country program. We've made some pretty amazing inroads on lacrosse as well in terms of not just being able to compete at that level, but competing at a very high level within the entire national division. What's your mascot? the Valkyrie. And uh, we have a real live mascot now, and her name is Val. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, it, it connects to our school of music. Our fight song is Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> I just had to ask because back in the early 20th century when schools in South Carolina began to have women's teams, Lander, which then was all women, they were the Lander Lilies. <laughs> And when the University of South Carolina had its first women athletic teams, they couldn't be Gamecocks because that's impossible. They were the Pullets, <laughs> which uh, that didn't last but a year or two. I can't imagine that lasting for very long. <laughs> well, you know, just talking about sports in general, Converse College can boast 125-year history of being undefeated in football because we've never played it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Let's move into the, uh, the the idea of single gender education. It's still some people think a little bit controversial. They point to the problems at Sweetbriar, long established, very traditional Southern school, and the difficulties it is having keeping its its doors open. But you're not having that that problem. I would say that the challenges, and I think it's easy for someone from the outside can look and say, oh, it's this type of institution that's struggling. I think that some of the challenges are this movement right now to think that all educational experiences are and should be the same. But if you actually think about how students learn, um, whether some students learn better in hands-on learning, some learn better in small classroom experiences, 
Um, some learn better in a single gender environment. We know we do a lot of work with that in the state of South Carolina in our K through 12 public school system. Some learn better in a in a co-ed environment. The I would say that some of the pushback in terms of single gender is tied to a a, a pushback on choice. And I'm a huge advocate for choice when it comes to uh, a college education experience. I also think some of the challenges with an institution like Sweetbriar have, are tied to its location. Right now, the college-bound 21st century student, the traditional undergraduate, more often than not, wants to be part of not a rural community, but a more urban and metropolitan community. So location can have an impact on uh, the viability uh, or the, the challenges that an institution will have. I will say Converse has had um, its ups and downs over its history, where I think it is has best served students and the mission is when it's been willing to think differently about how it goes about fulfilling that mission. Sometimes institutions can get stuck in, this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and this is how we will always do it. And that can really be problematic for a college that may be suffering enrollment challenges. Did Congress ever toy with going co-ed? I will tell you that our board during my tenure as president, considered that question twice. We, we have a very forward-thinking entrepreneurial board, and it really looked at whether or not that was an important option to consider, whether it was viable. And at both of those points in that discussion and investigation, they decided that there was still a lot more work to be done as a single gender environment rather than becoming co-ed. So in looking at the, sadly enough, the low status of women in the state of South Carolina, they felt like a single gender environment provided an incredible opportunity to help a larger number of women achieve aspirations, attain the education that they needed. Um, we sadly don't have an environment that is that it has been conducive to that over time. And I'm proud to say that right now about 40% of our graduates are first-generation college students today. So we really are making inroads if you think about that, as well as the fact that about 65% of our students come from the state of South Carolina now on the undergraduate level. Well, Sort of a loaded question. How do you think the status of women in South Carolina is doing? Is it getting better, or is it still pretty much the way it's been for the last, let's just say, 25 years, last generation, since you, since you are from South Carolina? I would say perceptions are changing, and I see examples of that in the corporate environment, in uh, who serves on governing boards, in terms of who is representing us, at least on the state level, in terms of political representation. We haven't quite achieved that kind of uh, some semblance of equity of voice on the federal level yet, but I do think their perceptions are changing, and that is really important. And I, th I think that changes one individual at a time, one family at a time, and then uh, communities at a time in terms of those changing expectations. So while I don't think it's, it's really shown up in the numbers yet, I do think the perception of expectations and value of having a more diverse uh, representation around a decision-making table in a workforce uh, in the leadership ranks of a employer is actually changing. All right, Betsy, we need to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's Journal, and I'm talking with Betsy Fleming, the outgoing president of Converse College. One of the things that has been interesting to me in in my retirement, I spend a lot of doing a lot of church work, and Neil and I work with you know young families. And the number of young women now who say are Converse grads are have have gone to 
a traditional women's college. They're all they're all in the workforce. In many cases, they're delaying having families, but they're they're in the workforce, and this has kind of had an impact on volunteerism. That is a major change, I think, in our state that's happened over the last generation or so. I would agree. I think um, students are coming to Converse with much higher aspirations. One of our past board chairs was graduated in uh, as a member of the class of 1972, and she would tell students as well as others that she came to Converse to get an MRS degree. Instead, she left with a new understanding of her interest in business and finance. She went up, had an incredible career at Morgan Stanley, mm-hmm. has since retired. So she had the career at Morgan, Morgan Stanley. She married. She had a, a child who is now graduating from college. She since retired back to South Carolina. So I think that she is an interesting model of when you come to a single-gender college, or when you go to college in general, how much, if you're open to it, it can change your expectations of what makes a full and satisfying life. What I think is, while we're getting more and more of those young women interested in pursuing careers or finding a balance between family and career, we will start seeing them move up through the ranks of of their professions as well, and that will start changing some of those status of women numbers in our state. But I think there are a lot of other ways. I, I think this there's a real it's a challenge on the front end in terms of volunteerism and philanthropy. It's an opportunity on another end in terms of how do you give folks who may retire at a certain age a real role in society in terms of helping the next generation along you know, playing a different role than they might have expected to play at that stage of their life and career. Well, what we're finding in terms of developing the volunteers among our alumni is this interest in developing chapters in communities. So in Columbia, in Charleston, in Greenville, where there can be some wonderful vertical integration where those who may have stepped down or retired or Uh, they are empty nesters, are really wanting to utilize not only their experience, but also their networks to help the next generation in that city, but also to figure out how do they mobilize uh, to help current students on their life path, if you will, whether it's through internships, helping them find jobs, helping them find apartments. So what I have seen in my experience is this is changing even how the network of volunteers and alumni uh, contribute to Converse College. Well, it's, again, part of the way our world is is changing. And sometimes, and I would say it, it might be for the better, but if, if you look at uh, and this has nothing to do with Converse, but the linchpins of communities used to be the civic club, fraternal organizations, uh, and also women's things, the Eastern Star, that kind of thing. Membership and all of that's declining. Uh, and I think those used to be the ways that people built those networks so and built social networks as well as professional networks with the Internet, with social media, with other mechanisms available. There is this real interest we're finding of wanting direct interaction versus having to cr- go through a a a club or organization that you have to attend a meeting uh, once a month, if you will, or once a week. I don't know whether it's good or bad, but uh, I do think for us to continue to create a vibrant society that builds connections, that helps those in need, we are going to have to kind of adjust how those clubs and organizations conceive of themselves as um, convening bodies and networking bodies. Well, I like what you said about the alumni and and since a large percentage of your uh, are from South Carolina, you have active chapters in most places. We are reactivating chapters or building chapters anew right now. It's been interesting. Columbia has been uh, at the heart of really 
creating this chapter model to help build that vertical integration and connect by region with the college. So it's been interesting to see how they've wanted to change their network interactions and also meet the needs of different alumni. So some alumni want to gather for social reasons. Some alumni want to gather because they want some intellectual stimulation that they're unable to get in other parts of their lives. So we have uh, groups developing um, uh, reading groups and bringing in faculty to lead discussions around a joint book club, if you will. We have other alumni who really want to connect with the next generation or younger generations. And so there are other alumni who want to be engaged in service activities. So we have Converse alumni in different communities who work together to work on a Habitat for Humanity project, if you will. So they're building their alumni community while also uh, serving the needs of their their bigger community. Well, before we leave the the question of, or rather go back, let's let's go back briefly to single-gender education. There are at least three all-male colleges in the country, two in the South, Morehouse in Atlanta and Hampton-Sydney in in Virginia. How many all-female colleges are there? There are about 36 to 38 all-female colleges. And it's interesting, when people push back on or question the viability of a single-gender college, they often use the statistic that only 2% of college-bound young women are interested in a single-gender college. Well, we find that 98% of the students who actually uh, join the Converse community never thought a single-gender college experience was what they wanted, but they came on a visit and they actually said, yes, this is the college experience that I actually want. So I think that it's really important as as you think about the single-gender experience to understand it doesn't necessarily mean for an all-male college that there are no women around in no places at all or that Converse has no men in no in no place. You have uh, male graduate students. You have uh, male faculty and staff members who are supportive. It's just it's about how you learn and live in a private, independent college community. What I would also say is, if you look at the diversity of those 36, 38 women's colleges, how different they are. What number have graduate programs? What number are simply private? liberal arts colleges. They are quite diverse while they they all share this common value in having a single gender college experience. How that looks within the larger framework of their student populations is quite different. And what percentage of those are religiously oriented? I think of some women's colleges, Roman Catholic right. schools, particularly up east. I would say a good, at least a half are religiously affiliated. There are, but not all of them. Hollins is not, Converse is not religiously affiliated. Smith, Wellesley are not religiously affiliated. Agnes Scott is not religiously affiliated per se. So I think probably about half of those women's colleges are religiously affiliated. And for example, Queens and and Charlotte is technically Presbyterian, or I shouldn't say technically, maybe that's the wrong word I don't need, but it was founded by Presbyterians. That's right. So that would be the 50%, you would include them as a... I would include them in that, although Queens is co-ed now. Okay, well, then it's not then it's not a women's college. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It has a history as a women's college. Yeah, yeah. But Trinity Washington, in Washington, D.C. is a women's college that is religiously affiliated. Okay. Well, you, you talked about the liberal arts experience, and I, I know that that's another debate that's going on in the world today. What use is a liberal arts education? We need to we got to train folks for jobs, job production. The purpose of an education, a college education, has been debated in this state since 1810, 1815. And the South Carolina College then, at those days, said we're going to have a traditional classical education, is what they called it, uh, which was even more than just a liberal arts education. But even the other schools that were founded, whether the, and most of them were denominational, Wofford, 
Furman, Erskine, Columbia College, all had a traditional liberal arts education. It wasn't until after the Civil War that uh, practical education began to sneak in. This debate resonates, and I go back to what you said about the technical folks today. They want a philosophy major and not some, they can teach them how to program. They can't teach them how to think. I, I agree 100%. We certainly need um, individuals trained for particular technical professions. So there is a, a value along, the, the, uh, along all the levels of educational needs. And generally speaking, in South Carolina, we need it all to grow. I have yet to find anyone in the state of South Carolina an employer of any kind tell me we have too many well-educated people applying for jobs. I hear just the opposite. We need better writers. We need people who can think creatively and critically. Um, We need effective communicators. All of those three qualities are direct outcomes of a strong liberal arts education. So, and the data is also clear within all kinds of studies, communities, states, countries that have a higher percentage of citizens who have a college degree end up having more vibrant economies, uh, more entrepreneurial economies. Um, So there is some very positive outcomes of that uh, higher percentage of college degree attainment. Converse, the the requirements for graduation, regardless of major, you still have a liberal arts core. We absolutely do. So it's what we call our general education requirements, and it is a liberal arts foundation. So whether you're majoring in music performance, accounting, philosophy, everyone has to have a a grounding in all disciplines. Everyone has to be able to uh, show that they can write effectively, communicate effectively, and understand abstract ideas, create an argument around um, either developing their own research or uh, a hypothesis around uh, history or English text that they're reading. One of the things that's been fabulous for us is we've prioritized creativity uh, in the broadest sense at Converse over these past 10 years. And that has resulted in a dramatic increase in uh, faculty-mentored student research projects which we also think has a direct correlation to the increase in the number of job placements and graduate school placements that our students are getting. This is all about creating a thesis or a hypothesis in and of your own right, having a faculty guide you as you prove or disprove that theory or hypothesis. Um, We have funding for this, but it's been phenomenal to see how much that the students who are take advantage of that opportunity at Converse. And right now, it's about 55% of our graduates have experienced a student faculty research project. By the time they graduate, they have wonderful outcomes into the next step or stage of their life. Any project that stands out that you might want to just share with us? Wow. Um, I'm not asking who your favorite grandchild is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think what I like most about the projects are the diversity of the projects. You have typical science projects that you would expect, but I was just with an interior design professor and one of her uh, students who were talking about an art-related project that they had received funding for for her to do a a student um, research project tied to the arts. But we have had projects in the expressive therapies and history and philosophy. So it really does run the gamut, business areas. So that is what I like is how much it is not concentrated in one particular area, but it cuts across all fields, psychology even. Okay. All right. And you say that this is an option, but more than half the students choose to participate. participate. This kind of thesis used to be a an integral part of all liberal arts 
education. And this is something that you all have been put back in in the last 10 years? We have. So this is um, not just a senior thesis before they graduate. We still have what we call now a capstone project, which is the equivalent of that, a larger paper, um, an exhibition if you're a studio art major. But this is integrated into the four-year curriculum where a student gets excited about exploring a subject in depth for no other reason other than being really curious. And uh, they uh, work with a faculty to sign on to the project, and then they use usually their summer to undertake the research, and we provide them funding for it. Wow. I, I just uh, think about even in graduate school days, if you wanted to do golf in the summer to do research, you were on your own. Right. So this really does, and I think it is at the heart, it is the at the heart of what a liberal arts education is all about. How do you latch on to something you never knew about before and really dig in deep um, to understand it in a more complex manner and then share what your research has uncovered with a broader community. And we partner, we're also involved with the South Carolina uh, Independent Colleges and Universities Association, where they have a forum every year where different student uh, research projects that are guided by faculty, the students present papers. And that's a, a wonderful culmination of this experience, not only getting to do the research, but actually having to uh, close it up and, and tell everyone what you learned in this process. Well, speaking of the benefits of a liberal arts education, let's just look at Betsy Fleming. <laughs> Did you ever think when you were growing up that you would end up going to school in England, getting a Ph.D., um, direct an art museum, be a director of the Federal Reserve Bank? I mean, let's just talk a little bit about your, your career, your life. The, an the short answer to that question is absolutely not. I never had any idea of what was possible. What I will tell you is... Um, I had mentors, teachers, faculty, parents who, when I became curious or more deeply interested in something, they encouraged me to follow that path or trajectory. Now, not without having to work on the side in order to be able to pursue that uh, passion, but there was this real interest in in encouraging me to not think about what do you do with a degree in art history, but wow, so so think about is there an internship opportunity you can find? Is there a way to uh, work while you're also working towards your doctorate? So there's this interest in pushing me not to no discouragement, but instead saying, well, you're going to have to figure out how to make it work, make it practical. But I, I feel uh, really fortunate, and I think maybe fortunate to be, to have had that support system, which not all college students today have. And secondly, to have had the, the courage or confidence to uh, take some of those leaps of faith. It was a big leap, leap of faith to uh, join Converse as president. I knew Converse. I grew up about a mile away from it. It is my mother's alma mater, but I never thought uh, in my lifetime that I would be president of Converse College, and it's just been such a wonderful experience, I think, both for me as well as for Converse as a whole, for students, for alumni, for all the stakeholders involved. What are Betsy Fleming's plans, if you if you can share, if that's not too personal? No, not at all. I don't know. I think that I'm the first order of business for me when I step down, because these jobs are literally 24-7, is to take some time off. There was a sabbatical built into my contract that I wasn't able to take, and so I'm going to be taking three to six months off and, and think about it. But I, I'll tell you, just in a nutshell, I hope... And I expect I'll continue to be employed and actively involved in helping to cultivate and strengthen human creativity and expression and accomplishment. I, I believe so 
much in how we need to continue to grow and build human capital. That's the way we advance innovations. That's the way we build communities. That's the way we make the state of South Carolina better, um, the United States better. So that is at the core, I think, of what I have always done and what continues to motivate me. Okay. Well, liberal arts major Betsy Fleming, why are you in the Federal Reserve? You're a director of the Federal Reserve Bank in Richmond. I am actually a, a director of the Charlotte branch of the Federal Reserve Bank in Richmond. Oh, okay. But that was exactly the question I asked when uh, member, both a sitting board member and the director of the bank came to ask me. And the long and short of it is because workforce development, which is tied directly to education, is a huge concern of the Federal Reserve Bank, as is student debt loads as we go forward. And so they have invited me to be a part of that board to share research and data and anecdotes about the higher education sector broadly, as and more particularly the private education sector. And I have been able to share a lot, especially with our tuition reset, and I have also learned a tremendous amount about how the Federal Reserve Bank works and monetary policy and the economy at large. And we're back to the original, one of the, our first topics, and that is tuition and debt. And unless I'm mistaken, in terms of independent colleges in South Carolina, Converse now has the lowest tuition cost. Is that correct? That's my understanding as well. Now, see, that's... That's pretty incredible. We're a private college at a public college price. And uh, the other interesting parts to that is the percentage of our students who arrive as freshmen and graduate in four years is phenomenal. Ninety-five percent of our freshmen who arrive and stay graduate in four years. Um, So there is a lot of value uh, and benefit to being able to Uh, attend a private college and um, at a public college price and graduate in four years. Well, and I think part of it, too, is you you quoted that uh, famous alumna from class of 72 who said she came to get get an MRS degree, and it was fairly traditional back in the 1950s and 60s, whether it was Converse or Sweetbriar or Randolph-Macon or Mary Ball and what have you. Young women went there for a couple of years, and if they found somebody at the neighboring men's college to get married and move off, but now you're saying that 94% stay. I mean, that shows you a change in mindset, not just to the young women, but their families as well. Absolutely. Our young women arrive with high ambitions and aspirations. They are at college both to have a positive collegiate experience, but also to gain the experiences to Um, achieve their dreams. And some of them arrive without knowing what their exact dreams are, and they feel like in this small environment, they can figure that out. So I I will tell you, I am amazed every year when I greet our uh, uh, new students just how ambitious and aspirational and hopeful they are about their future and their ability to make a contribution. We have aspiring doctors, veterinarians, nurses, college professors, teachers for elementary school and high school. We have um, aspiring politicians and public servants. We have um, folks who want careers in the business arena as well. So the diversity of their aspirations is really exciting for me to see. And I really love the ability to watch them move through their four years and continue to hone those aspirations or manage a change of direction. That's the other thing that happens. So often college students arrive saying, well, my father wants me to be an accountant. Oh, yes. (laughs) But I really love um, painting. And so 
one of the wonderful things is to watch how a student negotiates those two aspirations into a, a really successful package at the end of four years. And that's feasible at a Converse, which has a strong arts program, a strong accounting program, and uh, enough you know, en enough room for students to, to, to double major or to have majors and minors that are very effective. Well, Betsy Alfred's given me the wind-up sign. And any one last word for our listeners before we sign off today? I think just to let you and your listeners know uh, how excited and hopeful I am about the the future of Converse and the growing status of women in the state of South Carolina and how inextricably linked those two are. Well, Betsy Fleming, the president of Converse College, thanks so much for being with us today on The Journal. Thank you, Walter. I've really enjoyed it. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. This was a fascinating conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We covered a wide range of topics, but I think topics that are of concern to everybody today, particularly in South Carolina, the cost of a college education, the status of women in our state, the value of a traditional education. We covered all of them, and... Dr. Fleming was honest, forthright, and engaging. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Next time on Walter Edgar's Journal, I'll be talking with Professor Mark Smith of the University of South Carolina about the Battle of Gettysburg. So this is a kind of courageous moment, an ennobling moment, and yet the people who experience Gettysburg don't talk about it in those terms. They talk about it as a throwback to a scent-ravaged, distant medieval past. Join me for Walter Edgar's Journal, a production of South Carolina Public Radio, Friday at noon. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETB Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.